We are in uh, Genesis chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41, and um, we're going to, just to give you some remembrance on what we had covered last time, Pharaoh had a dream, none of his magicians or wise men could give him an interpretation with the dream. And so you might imagine they are probably sweating bullets right now, because uh, this is a Pharaoh which at a whim can kill his chief his chief baker, and uh, these guys are not able to do their job because for some reason God has masked this from them, and his reason is to now bring up Joseph after 13 years. Joseph has been in the prison now. He has been in Egypt, enslaved, and in prison a total of 13 years. So let's start reading from verse 9 of Genesis chapter 41. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, and he and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted to us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Okay, so... Uh, uh, it, it says it says in verse 8 of chapter 41, Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So all the magicians and all the wise men, and we, we talked last week about the power of these people to do miracles, which they certainly did, uh, um, Later on, not these specific guys, but in a few hundred years, their their lot did them uh, before Moses and Aaron. These are powerful men, and they're unable to interpret a dream. And now the chief cupbearer has a word, and the chief cupbearer is not asking for forgiveness, not repenting for something that he has done in forgetting to speak about Joseph. Remember, back in chapter thirty. Nah, in, ch- in chapter 40, in f- chapter 40, uh, he said, he said to, to, him, to, in verse 14 of chapter 40, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Well, the chief cupbearer never mentioned him to Pharaoh, as far as we can tell, and he's confessing that, and what he's doing is he's not confessing anything about that particular sin. He says, look, I know somebody that can interpret this. So think about this. Uh, say you know somebody very important. Say the president of the university were to mention, I, I, I say I was to hear that uh, he had a terrible pain in his hand and I had a brand new uh, light source that could cure that pain in his hand. I would tell him about that, you know, because, you know, it makes me look good to give him the solution to this. And he tells him, he says, hey, when I was in prison... You had put me in prison, and when I was there, I met somebody who could interpret dreams. He says in verse 12, Now a Hebrew youth 
was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. So we know that Joseph at that time, when he had related to the, the dreams, the, when he had related the interpretation of the dreams to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, he was 28 years old. We know that because in this same chapter, in verse 46, it says, Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And we know from verse 41, chapter 41, verse 1, now it happened at the end of two full years. So the time between verse 23 of chapter 40 and verse uh, 1 of chapter 41 is two years. So when Joseph met these men in prison, Joseph was 28 years old. And he refers to him in verse 12 as a youth. He still refers to him as a youth, which is interesting. Now, a Hebrew youth, and again, he refers to him as a Hebrew. Again, you see the size of this footprint of the Hebrew people. There's only about 50 or 60 Hebrew people on the face of the earth. And we know that from the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 14, when, when Jacob finally comes into, when he finally comes into the land of Egypt, he comes in with 75 people in all. So, so it's still going to be a number of years before he's going to come in, so maybe 60 people at that time. How can such a small group of people have such a big footprint? And we talked about that last time. But again, he refers to him as a Hebrew youth. Now, and, and remember, this, the, using the term Hebrew was not always flattering, because remember, that's the same way that Potiphar's wife referred to him. You've brought in this Hebrew to make sport of me, to make sport of us. And so she refers to him with his ethnicity. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. So he recognized him as a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. So Joseph, when he was in this prison, he was still serving Potiphar. Potiphar was in charge of that prison. He was still serving Potiphar. Potiphar just transferred him from, his, from working in Potiphar's home to leading the prison. He still felt a, a very high respect for him. And so you see that it was, it, was, it was likely that Potiphar did not believe his wife in those accusations, but he had to put Joseph in for a transfer to protect Joseph from his wife's accusations. And he related to, and, and we related to them we related them, in verse 12, to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. See the precision here. Joseph was very specific in dream interpretation. Now, now sometimes you can hear uh, 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 an interpretation of a dream or a prophecy that's so general you never even know if it's been fulfilled. You can never even know. Uh, but here, it's so specific. It is clearly highly specific. And so we see in the specificity that this is what struck the chief cupbearer. Its specificity said that this is not, he's not messing around. He said, just as he interpreted, it happened. He hung the baker and he took me out and, and put me back into my own place. Just as what happened, it happened. There was real precision here. And this he remembered. So now he's relating this to Pharaoh because this makes him look good. He has the solution for his boss. Hey, I know somebody can interpret dreams. <clears throat> and so in verse 14, 
Pharaoh sends and he calls for Joseph. And it says in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. So this was in a hurry. He had no time to prepare. Whether he even know that he was being brought there for dream interpretation, we are not told. All we are told is that they hurriedly brought him out. He has no idea. You know, for all we know, he's thinking, uh-oh, now I'm going to get my head chopped off. <clears throat> but they hurriedly brought him out, but they did demand that he clean up. And so it says they took him out of the dungeon, and when he had shaved himself, so he shaved himself. You know, if you look at, at old paintings, the, the, uh, the Shemites, the, 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 uh, the Semites, the descendants of Shem, we're called the Semites. We have that term today, uh, uh, Semitic people. They were always the men that had big, bushy beards. The Egyptians either had no beard or a small goatee. Uh, and so you see that he is shaving himself. He's actually putting himself in a position to be more relatable to Egyptians by shaving off his beard. That is the way they, 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 uh, uh, they, the way they dressed the way they wore themselves, the way they groomed. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, so now he, he has to take off his prison clothes and come in presentable clothes to Pharaoh. So they're probably providing with him with this, providing him with the shaving tools because he can't bef come before Pharaoh looking like a slob and, and just stinking of a prison. So he has to wash up. And this actually reminds me of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was this missionary from, he lived in the second half of the 1800s. So he was a missionary from like the mid-1850s until 1905, and he was a missionary to China, and a very successful missionary to China. Many people had gone before and after and never had success, such success as Hudson Taylor did. And Hudson Taylor, what he did is he did of himself and required of every man working for him that they would dress with the cue, which was where the head was shaved except for ponytail on the back of the head, which was kept very long, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was actually braided, not kept as a ponytail, but braided, and it went down the middle of the back. And many uh, uh, British missionaries, uh, uh, English missionaries, had gone and had been unsuccess unsuccessful in China. This man dressed like them, and wore their clothing. And you can even see pictures of him because there are pictures of him. He lived until 1905, so there are pictures of him with his whole crew and all the men are dressed and they're wearing the queue. And so what he did is he related to people, if it's in our power to relate to them, so if when we go into another culture, why use the, 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 the culture that we have, our clothing and, and the way we groom ourselves as a barrier? If we can easily break those things down, this is what, what uh, uh, Joseph is doing. And remember, Joseph is a very clever man and uh, very, very wise in, in, in discerning. Hudson Taylor did the same thing. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China for 51 years. He, had, he started 125 schools. He brought in 800 other missionaries over that 50-year period, and he had 18,000 converts, 18,000 converts. So if you take 50, if you take 51 years he was there, so if you take 51 times 365 days in a year, you would get about 18,000. He had 
on average, a convert a day, which is pretty good. I mean, you, you take missionaries, you put them on the mission field and ask them how many converts you have. These are not traveling evangelists. These are people that go there and live there. And uh, uh, he was very successful. Now, it says, it says they hurriedly brought him. He had no time to prepare. There was a gift that Joseph had. The utility of a gift is amazing. When somebody is functioning in their gift, God has endowed them with such a gift and they've used it, they've, they've developed this. It's not a, it, it, it's not, doesn't wear them out, doesn't wear them out highly to, to, uh, uh, to use this gift. Hey, Mike, somebody's turned off their, uh, turned off their, their mute. You got to locate them and turn the mute back on because we're getting, getting somebody on here. Um, so, so, uh, uh, you see, you see that he, he's, he had no time to prepare. Let me give you an example. Uh, Shireen, my wife, has a gift of hospitality and cooking. I mean, she can cook anything. So if you were to walk into this house totally unannounced and, and, uh, and you had not eaten, in 20 minutes, she can have a full spread in front of you. Totally unplanned. She could do that. And, you, you know, if, if it were just me here, you would get a total bowl of cereal. That's what you would get. But if you come in be, with her gift, she'd have a total spread before you. She can cook a meal for 20 people, and it doesn't stress her out. She just gets up and just cooks. I mean, the, when somebody is gifted, they can function in this, and it's not like he had to have all this prayer time and all this deep prayer. He is just functioning in the gift that God has given him. Because remember, we looked at it last week. When you exercise your gift, what does Jesus say? He says, you've been faithful with a few things. You will now be given charge of many things and enter into the joy of your master. You use your gifts, you enter the joy of your master, and you get more there. You get more understanding there, ability to use those gifts. And so he's hardly brought in. And now let's read in verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Very interesting. So Pharaoh comes in. Uh, uh, Joseph comes in and appears before Pharaoh. Pharaoh does not say, Hey, how's it going? Tell me about your family. Uh, I hear you were in prison. Well, what were you in prison for? Uh, was it justified? Um, None of that. No small talk. This is pure, big, important man. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? He's not interested in Joseph as a human being. He's not interested in what he's been through. Nothing. It's purely, what can you do for me? He says, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. I heard you can do it. That's it. That's it. No, and, and, and so... You'd think that Joseph, remember, he was, he was imprisoned by his brothers. His brothers took him and sold him into slavery, sold into slavery by his brothers. He was then immediately brought down to Egypt uh, by the Ishmaelites, brought down into Egypt and sold at a slave market in Egypt, being purchased by, by Potiphar, worked in Potiphar's home as a slave, we don't know exactly how many years, six years, eight years, 
Some number of years he worked as a slave. Then, because of a false accusation, he is put in a prison. He's put in a prison, and there he serves in the prison. So this guy has spent 13 years, because he's now 30 years old when he comes before Pharaoh. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He's 13 years he has been been in prison and as a slave. 13 years. Kidnapped. He talks about how he was kidnapped by his brothers, and, and all of this was done to him. Never does he play the victim. Never does he say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pharaoh. You want something from me? Just hear about what I've been through. You need to hear what's happened to me in your own country. None of that. He probably would have lost his head in the process, but in any case, none of that. He never plays the victim. He answers in return. Then Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, he answered graciously. This man answered graciously in the face of terrible treatment. His response was gracious. You know, interestingly, I, uh, I, people write to me a lot of times and I, I, try to, I try to write at least a, some kind of nice response back. You know, it's very easy with email because of the, you know, you're not seeing somebody's face to answer some, someone harshly. And somebody just this week wrote me an email uh, and, and uh, he talked about his technologies and he wanted to partner with me. And his technologies, to me as a scientist, sounded very strange. He had done these amazing things. He had solved this problem and this problem. I'm, I'm talking about problems that would be billion-dollar industries. Very, very hard problems to solve. It sounded very strange to me. And he was appealing to me because he wanted to work with me on something. And I replied back. I said, you know, my, my inventions are much more meager uh, but I've already sold that technology you're interested in to another company, but here's the name of the CEO, and you could correspond with him, and, and maybe you two could work together on this. And he emailed me back a, a curt response that said, no way, bro, I got my own technologies, I know, to, I know how to do this by myself. And so the CEO of the company saw this email, and he said, you were so nice to him, and he replied back to you, in such an such a, a, a unkind way, you shouldn't waste your time with these guys. And I, I didn't say anything, and I just thought, no, as a believer, as believers, we are called to be nice to those who do not treat us well. We are called to that. <clears throat> that is something that we are called to. I want you to, to, to look in, uh, in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, the New Testament, Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. <clears throat> so remember, the New Testament epistles are our text for how we ought to live our lives. And, and we are reminded by Paul as he's writing to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to their rulers. We are to be subject to our rulers. We are to be subject to our rulers, to authorities, to people over us. We're to be subject to them. We're not to speak ill of them. 
Over me, I have a, a, a chair of my department over me. He's the, the chairperson of the department. He is younger than me. I was there when he was hired, but he's chair of the department. So he is functionally over me. I am to show him respect. Over him is a dean, and I am to be in respect to the dean. Over, over the dean is a provost. Over the provost is a president. I have authorities, just a chain of authorities in my work. I am not supposed to speak poorly of them. If people want to hang out around a water cooler and speak poorly of the bosses, I can't do that as a believer. We are called to be different. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. We are to malign no one. I'll tell you, you get on Twitter and you start piling on when people are jumping on people for saying one wrong word and you want to cancel them. Whoa, be careful because it's going to come right back on you. As believers, we are called to be different. People may malign us, but Jesus said, when, uh, uh, when, you are, when you are cursed, we are to bless in return in Luke chapter 6, he tells us. Our response as believers is to be different. It says to malign no one, to be peaceable. We are to be people of peace. Well, if he comes at me with this, I'll have this. No, our, our response is to be different. We are to be peaceable, gentle, showing Every consideration for all men. That's what it says. You see here in Joseph, he never played the victim. He never started going through the litany of what he had been through, even through this whole chapter, from beginning to end, through his whole time with Pharaoh. He never recounted to Pharaoh all the hardships he had been through. Never. He never played the victim. And he said said to him, it says, uh, I... And and remember, Pharaoh was very short with him. He says, look, I've had a dream. None of these people standing here. And I'm telling you, those magicians and those wise men were sweating because their job was to interpret his dreams. If they couldn't do it, they are risking their lives. And this young man comes in and he says, I heard when people have a dream, you can interpret it. I mean, imagine the pressure that's on him now. And look at what his response is. Then Joseph... Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It is not in me, God will. It is not in me, God will. It is not in me, God will. It is a very similar response to what Daniel gave to King Nebuchadnezzar when he was brought before him to to tell him uh, to interpret a a dream for him. Very similar reply. I can't do it. It's not in me, but God will. I am telling you, this is the story of my life. It is not in me, but God will. Let me confess something to you. So, so many people assume my IQ is off the charts. I don't know what my IQ is. I, I, I just don't know. But I will tell you that I was a very mediocre student. That means a middle-of-the-road student all through high school. I took... No AP classes, no advanced placement classes. They may have just been coming in then. They may not have been called AP classes, but I just took the regular classes. Why? Because that's all I could handle. The regular classes were enough for me. When I went to college, I was just a very regular guy. I didn't take, I, I, I wasn't scheduled to take the honors chemistry program. 
for chemistry majors. I was just going to take the regular chemistry program. But then my advisor, who was a chemist, said, you really ought to take the honors program. It'd be better for you. I had no idea what I was getting into. When I got in that class, it was as if the people in that class had been studying chemistry since they were in kindergarten. I mean, they knew so much. I was just a regular person. I didn't know any of this. And I was just having a terrible time with freshman chemistry. Yeah, freshman chemistry. I got saved on November 7th of my freshman year. So just a couple months into my freshman year, I got saved. And I started praying that God would bless my work. I started praying, Lord, bless my work. Lord, bless my work. I finished that semester of, of the, the um, honors chemistry, which was for chemistry majors, where, remember, everyone had been studying chemistry since kindergarten except me. And I, I finished in that class with a B plus, which for me was a miracle. After that semester, every semester thereafter in chemistry, I got an A. In many of the classes, I got the highest grade in the class. Throughout the rest of my, my undergraduate career. How did that happen? It's not in me, but God. It is not in me, but God. I know who I am. I know I was a very average student. And I gave my life to the Lord. And I gave my career to the Lord. And I prayed, I prayed, I prayed that the Lord would bless my work. Now, I worked very hard. I worked very hard. But I prayed that the Lord would bless my work, and it was like a rocket. Now, I don't guarantee that with anybody. I'm just telling you what he did in my life. It's not in me, but God will. Then when I went to graduate school, I ended up working for a man that I had no idea that, that uh, uh, many years later. So I went to work, I went to graduate school in 1981. I started graduate school. So 29 years later, this man was going to win the Nobel Prize in chemistry. I had no idea. To me, he seemed very good. But he ended up becoming a Nobel Prize winner. So I had the, the God just looked out for my career and set me in this guy's group. And I remember praying my way through graduate school. I remember in graduate school, there were these exams. We had physical chemistry exams every Wednesday morning. And I like organic chemistry. I don't particularly like physical chemistry. And I remember getting on my knees every Wednesday morning for these weekly exams. And I would pray this prayer that, Lord, there is no one. This is right out of the scriptures. Lord, there is no one to help in the battle between the strong and those who have no strength. So, Lord God, help me, I pray. And I had that written out on a piece of paper, stuck to the, my door, the, in, the, the, the inside of my door to, to my room and I would look up I'd get on my knees and look up at that verse and just speak that verse back to God it is not in me but God will I know what happened in my postdoc career that I prayed for certain papers to come and I got those very same papers I know what happened in my career as an assistant professor what God did how God just rocketed my career it is not in me but God will and everybody looks at well you're very smart I am telling you I was just Average middle-of-the-road guy. It is not in me, but God will. If you will but trust God, if you will believe Him and trust that He is able to do according to His Word, He will bless you richly, richly. Will we believe the Word of God or not? 
that God is here. It is not in me, but God will. But God will. Now, I worked very hard. There is no doubt I worked very hard. But it is not in me, but God will. Learn how to set your career with God. Allow God to work in your life. Joseph knew this. And look at the confidence he had. It is not in me, but God will. I was recruited to... So I I got tenure after three years. After three years, I got tenure. By my fifth year, I was a chaired professor which means I had an endowed chair by my fifth year, a, a chaired full professor uh, by my fifth year. And, and uh, then I remember I got recruited to Rice in 1999. And I knew God was going to do great things because he had done it always. He wasn't going to take me and think that, okay, I brought you this far. I, far, I think I'll just drop you and let you get consumed by the devil. No, God will take care of me. God will take care of me. As Jesus said in, in John chapter 4, he said, he said, he said, uh, um, he said he, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you. In, in, in John chapter, chapter uh, I'm, I'm sorry, John chapter 8, verse 26, he said, in the NIV version, he says, he says that he who sent me is trustworthy. John chapter 8, verse 26, he who sent me is trustworthy. This very simple statement of Jesus, he who sent me, is trustworthy, as it says in the NIV. He who sent me is trustworthy. I believe him. I trust him. I trust him. People ask me, what do I think of you know, all that's going on with the COVID thing? All I know is, he who sent me is trustworthy. He will take care of it. I'm just a little guy. What can I do with this COVID thing and pandemics? I mean, I have no control over this. But he who sent me is trustworthy. I trust him. My Jesus will take care of me. It is not in me, but God will. If we will but learn to take hold of this, it is not in me, but God will. God will do this. God will take care of this. Joseph had such confidence. It wasn't like, Oh, I, 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 I hope I can interpret the dream. Oh man, I, you're putting me under a lot of pressure, you know. Um, he didn't, and, and he didn't come with this false humil- humility that, uh, oh well, you know, I really can't. No, there was nothing false about it. He had total confidence in his God. It's not in me, but God will. This is a man who spent, who was kidnapped at the age of 17, human trafficking, 13 years. He was enslaved and imprisoned for 13 years. And he said, it's not in me, but God will. It's not in me, but God will. This is the story of my life. It's the story of my career. It's the story of my marriage. It's the story of my family. It's not in me, but God will. And I will proudly boast, gladly boast, of what Jesus has done in my life. This all comes because of Jesus. I want to close off with this, going back to Titus chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 3, verses 1. We're going to read now verses 1 through 7 of Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, 
hating one another. I'll tell you, this is the story of our life. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, this is what you are enslaved to. It says, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. You wonder why your life is the way it is? You're enslaved to this stuff. Well, how can you get out of it? He tells us, verse 4 of Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus Christ comes and He pours out His grace on us, richly pours out His grace, and He delivers us from ourselves because we are wicked from within. And even as believers, we can feel very quickly that wickedness cropping back up, and we have to run back to God and say, Lord Jesus, help me. You are enslaved to it without Jesus. He saves not on the basis of your works. He says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done. Not on the basis of your deeds can you come to Him. But only by His grace, the Holy Spirit pouring out to you His grace, it comes to us in Jesus. Jesus is the most magnanimous of captains. Jesus is the one who does everything, who makes all this stuff occur righteously and and, and in a good way in your life. It's all because of Jesus. I invite you this day to Jesus. If you do not know Him, I urge you this day to accept Him in prayer. I will pray, and you accept Him in prayer. And if you do not know Him, I'm going to pray today, and I ask you to invite Him into your life. And if you accept Him in this time, you owe me an email to let me know, to tour at rice.edu. And if you want to hear more from me about how to be saved, if you are unsaved, you want to hear more from me on how to be saved, you just send me an email, tour at rice.edu, and I will meet with you this very day. I will meet with you today. I will meet with you tonight. And, and, and I will tell you my story about Jesus. I don't want to let this thing go on without meeting with you. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. It is so good. Lord, I thank you because it is not in me, but God will. You are the one who does it. You are the one who does it. Father, I pray that you'd put a pattern in our life that is like that of Joseph, that we would be peaceable and gracious and kind, not looking at ourselves as victims. But Father, speaking graciously, even when others don't speak graciously to us, that we would malign no one, that we would not pick up the characteristics of the world, which are the characteristics of the devil. Father, I pray that you give us liberty in Jesus Christ. Father, free us from our wicked selves. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers who are here, that they would pray this very day with me. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and draw me close to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
And Father, I pray for the believers who are here that you would give them victory. And for these young people who are just starting out in their careers, Father, I pray that they would learn, as Joseph said, it's not in me, but God will. And then that they would trust in you. That they would learn to pray and to commit their careers, their jobs, their lives to you. Lord, that they would learn to do that. Father, bless my brothers and sisters, I pray. Bless them richly. Lord, you love them so much, you gave your life for them. Lord, I pray your goodness come upon their lives and that they would take hold of it richly. In the name of Jesus, amen.